Hear the word of God from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. These readings come from the Common English Bible and can be found on page 917 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him, and we boast in the hope of God's glory. But not only that, we even take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Martin Luther King once said, We must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. Disappointment is part of life, isn't it? Suffering is an inescapable reality for life. You can't avoid it. Many of us are experiencing it right now. But according to MLK, it's just finite. It's just temporary. It will pass. And what he says is, there is one thing that we must never lose, and that is infinite hope. It's the capacity to hope that is always within us, that will never go away, that we'll always have at our disposal, no matter how small and insignificant it might feel. Paul says the very same thing, by the way. In this morning's scripture passage from Romans 5, he basically says, suffering is an inescapable part of life. But he even goes one step further. Suffering may be inescapable, but it's actually something that we can rejoice in. Why? Because for Paul, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. For Paul, suffering and hope are inextricably linked. You cannot have hope unless you go through suffering. And the only way you can go through suffering is to have hope. And for any of us this morning or watching online, who are experiencing even just a taste of that finite suffering and trouble in our lives. Well, this second Sunday of Advent, this scripture reading is for you. The great 19th century British painter George Frederick Watts was famous for painting ideas, not objects. And one of his most famous paintings is titled hope. Now, up until this painting, most painters would render hope in terms of objects, concrete objects, like, like an anchor or a big mountain or a big, solid, sure piece of granite, but not George Frederick Watts. His painting is different. The centerpiece of his painting is a woman who's blindfolded, And look at her position. She's crouched. She's doubled over in disappointment and trauma. 
You'll notice she's also barefoot, and she's sitting on what appears to be a round hill or a round ball. And you take a look at that painting, and there is nothing about that painting which suggests to you anything remotely close to hope. What was Watts thinking? Until you notice that she's holding something. She's holding what appears to be a harp or a lyre, some kind of musical instrument, which you begin to think may be the source of hope in this picture, some kind of melodic instrument that will lift her souls. But upon closer examination, you look closely at that harp and you realize that even the harp is broken because it is down to one string, one lonely, lingering string. Not a full array of notes and chords, just one string, just one pitch, just one note. But G.F. Watts calls this painting hope because in his mind, just one string is enough. Just one string is all you need. Just one string is all you need to produce some kind of sound that will begin to resonate against the cacophony of your life. Just one string is all you need to begin thumping out a rhythm that will ignite your heartbeat and drive you forward. Just one string is all you need. It's enough to give you hope. That's the story of Paul as he's writing this passage in Romans. He's, he's down to his last years. He's nearing the end of his life. And as he looks in the rearview mirror, he sees all sorts of truffles trouble and suffering. He's been through shipwrecks and imprisonment. He's been attacked and abused and arrested. But even against all of that, Paul recognizes that he still has one string to play, the string of hope, and that's all he needs. You too might come to this second Sunday of Advent with very little for you to claim as evidence of hope in your life. You too are blindfolded, blinded by the darkness of your situation, unable to see with clarity what the future holds for you. You too are barefoot. You too find it hard to stand on your own two feet, on feet that are swollen and bruised by rough terrain that you have walked in recent days. You too are sitting on a foundation that seems unstable and insecure. You are just like that blindfolded woman, but you too still and always will have one string to play. It's the string of hope. Where does Paul find that hope? Let's take a look at his passage more clearly, shall we? He begins today's scripture passage with one of his favorite words. It is the word, therefore. And whenever we see the word, therefore, it's an invitation for us to see what it is there for. Oh my gosh, really? None of the other congregations moaned and groaned. All right. I'll have to remember that for the next time I preach. The passage this morning is from Romans 5. And so we're invited to look at what's happening in Romans 4. And it's there that Paul spends the entire chapter, almost the entire chapter, talking about one of the great heroes of the Bible, 
the one who was able to hold on to his hope and his faith, a person that we know as Abraham. And I don't think you can understand Romans 5 until you understand the backdrop of the story of Abraham. It was one night in Abraham's life where God coaxed Abraham out of his tent and pushed him outside and invited him to look up. Look up, Abraham, into the canvas of the night sky. Look up into the midnight blue and the river of the stars and the the night that is filled with twinkling twilight. Look up, Abraham. And now imagine. Imagine that all of these stars, these flickering lights, are just as numerous, if not more numerous, than the number of descendants that I will soon give you. You, Abraham, will be the ancestor of such a great number of people, it will be like the stars in the night sky. And it's at that point that we remember just how ludicrous this promise was. Abraham was about 95 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 90, long past the ability to have children, much into their elderly years. Yet here is God telling them that for the first time, they're going to be parents and they're going to be ancestors, when in reality, they were much more close in age to changing their own diapers, let alone a baby's diapers. And if it were you and me, we would have laughed. We would have turned to God and said, prove it. In other words, you and I would have wanted some evidence, just some evidence that we could hang our hat on to believe in God. Just, just a sign, God, that's all we want. Just a little nugget of evidence that we can know for sure that what you're saying, as ridiculous as it is, is actually going to happen. But here's what sets Abraham apart from everyone else and why Paul wants us to remember Abraham's story if we're going to believe in hope. Because in Genesis chapter 16, verse 5, we hear this powerful witness to Abraham. Abraham believed God, and God declared him righteous. Genesis 15, 6. In other words, Abraham chose to believe not because there was evidence, but simply because God was trustworthy. He believed despite the lack of evidence. And he chose to cling to the one last string that he was still able to play, his conviction that when God makes a promise, God will be faithful to fulfill it. Abraham believed not because there was evidence, but because God was faithful. And for Abraham, that was enough. This is hard for us today, isn't it? This is hard for us to live this way because, friends, we live in a world where we want evidence. We want proof. We talk about hope, but we really want to see it. But we're blindfolded. We hear God talk to us about peace and joy and hope and love. Well, God, we would just for once love to see proof that the wars will end, that the, that the hunger will cease, that the oppressed will go free, that the abused will be loved. Just a little bit of evidence, God, that's all we want. You tell us to have hope, just give us some proof. But then we see more news headlines, and then we see our lives continue to fracture 
in our relationships with others. And it's enough to make our faith in God and our trust in humanity quiver and quake. But Paul would give us good news. He would say to us, it is precisely in those moments, not despite those moments, that we are ready to claim and exercise the one gift that is always at our disposal, hope. Not a hope that is based on evidence, but a hope that is based on God's trustworthiness, that God is faithful and that what God says, God will do. Which means that we don't have to live in the opposite of hope. Which when you think about it, what is the opposite of hope? When we're feeling hopeless, we feel despair. Is despair the opposite of hope? Or how about fear? When we feel fear or afraid, is that the opposite of hope? According to Paul, the opposite of hope is not despair or fear. Those are natural feelings. The opposite of hope is a need for evidence in order to believe. Hope is the audacity to believe despite the evidence. Hope is the audacity to believe in something even when there is no proof. Hope is the ability to rejoice in suffering, not despite the suffering. Hope is the ability to say to God, God, you said it, and therefore I believe it, and I don't need to see the proof first. This past year, we lost a great writer and pastor. His name was Eugene Peterson the author of the great paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, a guiding light in my pastoral ministry, as well as to many people all around the world. In his wonderful book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson offers this beautiful, compelling reminder of what hope is and what hope is not. This is what he says. Hoping does not mean doing nothing It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means... A confident, alert expectation that God will do what He said He will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it His way and in His time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling Him both how and when to do it. That is not hoping in God, but bullying God. Eugene Peterson nails it. For any of us this morning who are down to our last string and wondering where the evidence might be that there are brighter days ahead, Eugene Peterson offers us three very practical ways to start experiencing what hope looks like. These are three applications that you can begin utilizing even today. Number one, Live with confidence. 
God doesn't want you to live dispiritedly or with brokenness. Peterson says that hope is a confident, alert expectation that what God says, God will do. So when you wake up in the morning, every single morning, and the flood of fears and doubts and trouble and stress begin to flood your mind and fill your heart, make a concerted decision that at that moment and for the rest of the day, you will not live in a dispirited or broken state. You will live with confidence. That what God says, God will do, and you can live into the day alert and aware of what God is doing in your life. Number one, live with confidence. Number two, exercise imagination. Remember what God did with Abraham? God told Abraham to look up and notice the stars in the sky, the very same stars that Abraham had seen night after night after night, except on this night... God invited Abraham to exercise his imagination for the first time. To say, look, Abraham, imagine what it will be like to be the father of such a multitude of people. Imagine what it will be that these stars in the sky represent your descendants. I know you don't see the evidence, but here's the gift that I will give you for now. The gift of your imagination. The gift that will enable you to see even when you're blindfolded. The ability to claim a future that you can't see evidence of right now. That ability to dream and to imagine can be your gift to buoy your deepest doubts into the hopeful promise that God has for you. Finally, number three, let God be God. Allow God to act in God's own way and in God's own time. Because when we make plans and expect things to happen and expect God to follow our plans, I love the way Peterson says it, that's not hoping in God, that's bullying God. And God won't be bullied. Allow yourself to trust and let God be God. I love a sermon that Tom Long once preached on the story of Abraham. And at the very end of the sermon, this is what he said to the congregation. He said, by the way, did Abraham and Sarah have descendants? And then he pointed to the congregation and said, behold, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, children of the promise. You and I are the evidence that Abraham could never see. And down the road, perhaps down the road, we will see the evidence of our hope. But not today. And that's okay. Because the only way you can have hope is to go through suffering. And the only way you can go through suffering is with hope. A suffering that will produce endurance. An endurance that will produce character. And a character that will give you the one last best string you will ever need. And that string of hope is enough. Let's pray together. God, in this moment, there are a myriad of people who are struggling with the suffering of their own lives. And we are longing for evidence that there are brighter days ahead, only to be discouraged by its lack. God, help us to see even when blindfolded. 
Help us to stand even with swollen feet. Help us to be secure even on uncertain foundations because you have given us the one last string to play, a string that is given by your loving and powerful hand that enables us to live with confidence, to imagine, and to trust. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let all God's people say, Amen. And so it is an act of that hope that we offer ourselves to God. Before we take up the offering this morning, I want to offer one announcement regarding next Sunday's 11 o'clock sanctuary worship service. It is a treat that I am looking forward to that you will be blessed by. On this third Sunday of Advent, we will be doing a regular worship service with many of the same elements that we have every Sunday, including a sermon from me. But much of the music will be filled by the glorious sounds of this magnificent choir, offering a rendition of the Gloria composed by the great composer John Rutter. It will be a blessing to your Advent season. I hope that you'll join us for this 11 o'clock sanctuary service as we make our journey hearing once again a musical rendition of the great song of the angels on that first Christmas day.